Hello and welcome to R plus J equals podcast. I'm your host, Joe Gatdula, and with me is my lovely wife, Regina. Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? I'm okay. Are you ready for this? Yes, I will admit I'm a little tired, but that's okay. It's okay. You got to truck through it. I mean, when it comes to Game of Thrones, I can wake up. I think overall, we both loved the episode, right? Yes, it was awesome. I thought it was a a (laughs) big improvement from last week. You never like episode ones of each season. Yeah, I don't think I've ever. You always get disappointed. I don't think I've ever liked a first episode. Exactly. So I think one thing that we're going to make sure that we're doing this episode to not clog people's I don't know, iPhones and stuff. <laughs> uh, we're trying to make sure that the episode is a little bit punchier. It's yeah, not we're not going to talk about every scene because it is the second episode. I yeah. think we did that last week because, you know, it was the first episode after a year and a half and we couldn't help ourselves. I think also we kind of forgot our formats. So we didn't do as much research, but we remember that we usually did the first maybe top three mm-hmm. moments of the episode and then we'd cover a lot of other stuff with all the questions that come in. Yeah. I think we forgot how many questions do actually come in. So <laughs> we wanted to make sure that we're on point. We give everybody a nice podcast that tries to be under an hour that they can all listen to on their commute to work and commute back home. I mean, if you like us talking for more than an hour, give us, us a call, <laughs> I guess. And we'll talk to you about it for hours and hours. Yeah. So let's get right into it. Um, the top three moments, biggest moments that we kind of called through. Uh, the first one was a very icy but also interesting conversation between Sansa and Danny. What do you think? I loved it. It was obviously one of my favorite scenes. That's why we're talking about it. But it was surprisingly interesting in the sense that Sansa has become such a mature person and a very strong woman. But throughout some of the conversations, you kind of see a little bit of old Sansa there when she smiles. And it reminded me with her conversation with Marjorie Tyrell like four seasons ago when Marjorie was like, we're going to be sisters. I mean, my British accent's a little off. Sorry, guys. Um, and then she smiled. And that she had that same smile with Daenerys when Daenerys was talking about, you know, people don't welcome a woman's rule, but we're both doing such a great job and all of that. And she smiles. And it kind of had some glimmers of old Sansa. But we know who she is now. She's yeah. definitely a lot smarter, less naive. So she kind of goes along with Daenerys. But then at the end, she's like right back to business. So what's going to happen in the north after you take the iron throne we're not going to bow down to you and i think she states what she truly believes and she's not hiding it and she's not sugarcoating it so good for her um with daenerys you know i really appreciated that she took jorah's advice and she's trying to make peace because i do agree with her that they are on oddly opposite sides when they shouldn't be that showed some softness from daenerys to really get to know sansa and have her on her side because she loves John. Sansa loves John, so it's really important. And so I appreciated that from Daenerys. Yeah, I think for me, the most interesting parts of it were first the fact that Sansa really played it in a certain way. She acted very nice and kind of sisterly once they you were think starting. She was playing it. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I think she's learned a hundred percent from both Cersei and Littlefinger, mm-hmm. and she knows first impressions are a big deal mm-hmm. and not playing all of your cards right away. You got to ease into it. You have to really play the game. You got to mm-hmm. play 4D chess like we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. Um, I think basically the way she did it was 
I don't know who started the conversation about John. Daenerys. I think it was Daenerys, but she really played into that showcase. Like, hey, I'm a human too. Mm-hmm. I care about people. I'm I'm very reasonable at times, and mm-hmm. I'm not just a hundred percent like cold person. Right, and I think Daenerys' answers back to Sansa about manipulation and all of that showed that Daenerys also is very smart too, and she had yeah. great answers back to her. So I think Sansa respects that, but she just. She just doesn't trust anyone, and we talked about that last week. She just wants to protect her family's name, her family's house, and that's just her main mission, obviously, aside from killing all the zombies. But she's not going to really open up and be warm to Daenerys because to her, she's a conqueror. Yeah. I think one other thing that this scene really showcased and this whole episode kind of showcased was how good the writing was in this episode. It Mm -hmm. felt like an episode from earlier in the past seasons where... It was a lot of dialogue. It was a lot of scenes being allowed to breathe. Right. A lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people in rooms Mm -hmm. just talking, talking things out. But you're finally getting these character moments that we really, really missed. Right. We didn't really get it in the last episode. They were rushing through a lot of scenes here and there. I mean, I will say the pacing was a little bit off in the second episode, but I mean, I welcomed it because it was basically a setup. And so. What, in what way was it I mean, it, it pure, you just watch it and it's like, okay, this is setting up for the battle. But I, I think like when you watch this episode and then when you watch the next episode and then you watch them together, if yeah. you watch like two and a half hours worth of it, it'll feel like a movie. I think it's funny you say the pacing was off because if you compare it to older seasons, mm-hmm. it's not off at all. It's mm-hmm. that everything around it was off. Yeah. So like Game of Thrones in season seven and season eight has jarred you into this hyper accelerated mode which i actually hate (laughs) yeah which we hate but when they went back to this slower paced setup episode we loved it Mm -hmm. we completely enjoyed being able to be in these rooms with these characters as they went through these moments and back to the actual content of the conversation um just seeing them kind of act friendly was Mm -hmm. really refreshing but then once it went to that moment where Sansa said, what about the North? And she mm-hmm. she repeated it twice, right? Right. I think it was it was like somebody just turned off a light switch mm-hmm. and it was so abrupt and it changed the atmosphere instantly. And only a show like Game of Thrones where characters are bringing all their stories with them and we know their stories, can that really work? Do you think Sansa is right in stating that she will never bow or the North will never bow down to Daenerys? Or do you think she should have? kept that close to her chest until she waited until afterwards i think at least she's being honest mm-hmm. um and it's something that has to be discussed eventually and she's planting the seed she's not just going to be a straight up backstabber she's going to be like hey this is still an ongoing issue we're going to have to face it eventually if there is an afterwards right i truly believe john bend the knee to danny because he obviously needed her army and her dragons to defeat the Night King and his army. But after watching Sansa and kind of what she says, even in the first episode, it makes me question, did Jon do it really because he loves Daenerys? Or is it kind of like a 50-50 thing? He did it for both. I would. You don't really know his true intention because we never saw him answer. My gut tells me it's like 60% he loves her. Because he was, really? he was pretty adamant about not bending the knee mm-hmm. until she came and saved him. Then they had like this touching moment. You mean and the then weird he soap opera yeah, fake then, moment? Then he realized it. And I think it, it leans a little bit because it's not 100% So Sansa's logical. right then. Yeah, I would say okay. so. And Sansa's arguably the smartest person in the whole show. She is. I think 
Danny has shown she's not that smart. Even Tyrion, <laughs> Tyrion hasn't hasn't shown great progress in the last couple uh, seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, Sansa's the one to beat, at least in terms of the political game. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately for her, Game of Thrones isn't about that right now. It's about survival right. in terms of fighting the dead. It's not about a political game. So that's why you see multiple scenes in this episode kind of get cut off with. Um, conflicts unsettled because weird it's like, stairs. hey, yeah, weird stairs or somebody barging in and saying, hey, excuse me, and conveniently changing the changing the tone. Um, but I think that's just because of what's to come. Right. People know these conversations have to happen, but at the end of the day, we have to cover the White Walkers right. first. Right. Even yeah. and we'll get to kind of how people are saying she's turning a little mad. We'll get to that, but I think her walking to Sansa, initiating that conversation. That shows that Daenerys truly loves Jon, but also cares to get on the good side of his family. I think there's a couple things that happened in this conversation with Sansa that kind of alluded to what was going to happen later in the episode. Mm -hmm. Especially her just pulling her hand away. I thought it could have just been like one moment where she was mad, but it's funny and we'll talk about it in a little bit. It it actually alludes to and foreshadows some of her further reactions um, especially once she gets to talking to John. Uh-huh. But before we talk about John, let's take, talk about this other scene that we mm-hmm. felt was one of the biggest, most impactful scenes that we had seen. Brienne and her knighthood and receiving the knighthood and just the overall atmosphere of them around the fire talking right. with each other. I mean, that entire scene was funny. It was heavy. It brought tears to my eyes, gave me all the feels. So it had all of these emotions. And, it, and it's great because the, the scene starts off with pod wanting to drink and yep. then Tyrion kind of like the drunk uncle he is overfills his cup that was and great. then that I love the, the face even face the acting was the great. shot on the cup and it's just right. overflowing it's just all like over Tyrion's, ridiculously Tyrion's overflowing. Hand. Yeah. um was great and then Tormund I mean the story was hilarious like that was probably the funniest story that I ever heard on Game of Thrones and probably will be the only time that we get some funny moments right now. But, I think the um, writer's usage of Tormund right now is just <laughs> amazing. He's very smart. Literally, the only person who is any comedic relief, but it works perfectly within characters because right. he's a dolt from the right from beyond it, the wall. It fits so well. It seems so organic and natural. I just, I just thought that story was great. But with um, Brienne becoming a knight, you know, it's funny because right. When I was watching that scene, I thought in my head, oh, this is going to be a little bit cheesy. I was waiting for that cheesy fest of like, oh, you're a knight now. And then it's like super emotional. But as the scene unfolded, I was surprisingly taken with it. And just the expression and the sense of joy that she feels and for for becoming a knight, but also Jamie doing that for her is just so wonderful to watch it's, it's a culmination of so many storylines and emotions that they have i think the most interesting thing for me was how the actress was able to act it because mm-hmm. we've never seen her vulnerable right well in that sometimes. kind of way we, yeah I, I personally don't can't recall a moment where she's kind of tearing up in that kind of way mm-hmm. and that's a very impressive side of Gwendolyn christie mm-hmm. especially showing her range and i'm hopeful that maybe she'll get a supporting actress nod um that was one of the best scenes that i've seen not just this season but in a long time brienne is i'd say the most underrated characters mm-hmm. in the show and hopefully she survives to keep going i mean i i jamie and brienne's relationship and friendship is one of 
the best things that and the most developed relationship in all of game of thrones because you see them from the very beginning of season three on and you see all of the things that they went through and it just they had such great chemistry and for her to be knighted by him and he do it in just the most jamie way like hey i can make you a knight it was just so perfect and it felt like a kind of an ending you know i don't think both of them are going to survive this war one is going to die i'm leaning towards brianne just because she's on the front lines and she's leading a whole batch of the veil soldiers so i am leaning towards her dying but i won't be surprised if jamie dies defending her we'll see but that was a perfect end to their friendship slash relationship yeah their friendship their story Hopefully it doesn't end. Hopefully they both survive, but you never know. I think it'll be too know. good to be true if one, yeah. if both of them survives this. I think, I think that was kind of a theme of the show. A lot of these scenes, if you told us at the beginning of all of Game of Thrones or even like back in season three, that all these people would be together sharing these scenes, kind of heartfelt scenes, it would have felt like it wasn't real, like mm-hmm. it's too good to be true. Mm-hmm. And having an episode like this, for me personally, w- felt a little too good to be true. I mm-hmm. never thought that they would be able to go back to this type of storytelling and this type of emotion, but they knocked it out of the park. I mean, you're I can't gonna praise do a, them enough. You're going to do a lot of crying next week. I mean, you're like, I don't know how I'm going to be able to watch this next week's episode because they did this episode yeah. so well. You, you realize how much you truly do care about the characters because you feel like this is the end we even care about gray worm and the sandy's relationship i know which is the least cared about relationship that i felt for this entire uh show i really i actually don't enjoy miss sandy and gray worm's relationship i don't care for it it's pulling a different pop culture reference it's exactly like vision and scarlet witch we didn't give a shit about them (laughs) all in the past but in infinity war when they got dusted spoiler alert um, that was really, really sad. And they actually made me feel something for them, and I felt bad. And, I mean, I feel like Grey Worm's going to survive, mm. but we'll see, you know? But it just... It, I don't know. I think the entire episode also felt a little too tower from the Lord of the yes. Rings-ish, but in a... In a good way. in a good way, but yeah. it was a lot more serious because there's no Gandalf in the white light that's going to yeah. pop up. I don't I know. Just, Red Lady. <laughs> Okay, in her army of bitches and witches. Um, I just feel like they did a fantastic job with the character moments, the ranges of emotions as you feel, laughter to sadness to realizations. I think it was great. And I think we could talk about so many different scenes, but like we said, we want to keep the podcast under an hour, so we're not going to do that. But I think we'll get to touch on a little bit of other topics that I feel like were some of my favorites. So with that said, let's get to the final kind of moment of the episode, the real meat of the episode. Which only was like three minutes long, but it was the ultimate. It was arguably more impactful than last week's John understanding and realizing that he is Aegon Targaryen. And I think, you know, because me and you were so convinced that John was not going to tell Daenerys... And if you guys listened to our preview episode, we said it with, oh, yeah. Yeah. 100% we got this figured out. Yeah. This is what's going to happen. He's not Obviously, we're not right as We're terrible. Clearly, our predictions were incorrect. So when the scene was happening, I was thinking in my head, is he really going to tell her? And he just tells her. It wasn't yeah. like a soap opera or kind of this dramatic thing where it's like, Danny, I have something to tell you. I have to give a nod to Kit Harrington. Um, for his acting in that scene, specifically his little grimace mm-hmm. or like his 
half smile when like he a sees her. In his eyes. It was like, "Hey, how's it going?" Uh, Dunty. It was like <laughs> he was not happy to see her, but he happy to see her. A lot of different emotions there, but overall, the scene, like you said, it was really quick. John got straight to the point. Mm-hmm. But for me, and my most important discussion point was Daenerys's instant reaction. I know you disagree with me on this. But it does show shades of obsession with the throne. I know she's been driving towards it her whole mm-hmm. life. But her instant reaction is, wait, this means you're the heir. So I don't I don't disagree with you on the fact that she is obsessed with the throne. Mm-hmm. I think that was an appropriate reaction because of Daenerys' character. And the one goal she has been told her entire life was to take back the, well, her and Viserys, take back the Iron Throne, revenge on the family, they're the last Targaryens, and after he died, she is literally the last Targaryen. So the fact that she hears this and the fact that John's not a bastard either between Rhaegar and Lyanna, a legitimate heir, and that he's also male. When she had a conversation about, you know, being a woman in charge a couple of scenes ago, I wouldn't have expected any other way. I'm not going to see Daenerys find that out and say, oh, John, we'll figure this out and get through this together. The entire purpose of her life was to become queen of the Seven Kingdoms. And the fact that she hears something to strip away that, it's she's losing a sense of herself. So I don't see any sort of, yeah, it might have come off a little defensive. I don't think it came off threatening at all. I don't think it came off threatening. But the fact that it was her first reaction instantly. It just seems like the aunt and nephew thing maybe isn't a thing. Maybe that is a thing between you and me that bothers us more. And it seems like John and Daenerys don't care about their aunt and nephew. It hasn't been brought up. I initially thought that Daenerys' first reaction was like, that would make us relate it. But yeah, it seems like but she, she doesn't didn't care. care. Well, then if, so when I thought the, about it more, so I is, think both of them don't care. Well, nonetheless, is the fact that that's her first reaction shows that her love for John isn't the first thing in her head. Right, but maybe it's it's if, if independent. You're, but if of you're that. in love with a person, you believe in them wholeheartedly, unconditionally, and you trust that oh, that person would support you no matter what. So right? did you expect her to say, "Okay, John, go ahead and become king"? I'll I just relinquish did, my claim. No, I just didn't expect her to say that makes you the heir. <laughs> I just think I I would have at least liked. I know you're saying it's maybe just us or just the general Earth public who says Earth public. Well, they're not on Earth. This is not Westeros is not on Earth whatsoever. Uh-huh. Um, basically, to me, if the public believes that the the incest thing is a big deal, I assume that that would be the first reaction. But maybe the public doesn't think the incest thing is a big deal. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we just have to wait and see. But all I'm saying is, I understand why Daenerys reacted that way and I think it's completely in character now John's face was interesting because it could go two ways his the first way that it could go is like he knows Daenerys and he was hoping that she would be more consoling and say hey we're figure this out and we'll get through together and when she did not react that way he was taken aback but then he probably knew that in the back of his head or the second way I feel I can go is that John realizes that maybe he doesn't know Daenerys. You know, when that was her reaction, he was definitely taken aback and he's probably like, I really don't know this girl. And it was also who is she? It was also seated in there when 
Sam told, do you think Daenerys would give up her throne? And he didn't answer because he knows that she wouldn't. So, I mean, I think for me, I first was like, whoa, Daenerys kind of came off a little defensive. And then after talking to my sister about it and us having this really great conversation about who Daenerys is and who her identity is, to me, it makes sense. She loses a sense of herself and you can see in her face when she finds out. And I don't think that means that she loves John less. I think it, the faces that they give each other is kind of like they don't know who they are themselves and they don't know who, who each I other mean, is anymore. It also and makes I, sense they don't really have much of a relation. It's like one year, not even. <laughs> I months. mean, you're supposed to believe that their relationship is truly developed. She tells Sansa that she loves him yeah. and he loves her. But it's going to obviously be a point of contention and... I truly still believe Daenerys is a good person. She's not going to go to war with John. I think they love each other and they'll figure it out. I wouldn't put money on that, personally. I, I think mean, she's completely driven to be the queen, no matter what. But, right. And if he has... I this, think she would kill John. For do. the throne, even yeah. though he is or the rightful let him heir? Or let him die. I do. She, so you think there's love lost I, there? I think they've also been building up elements of Targaryen and elements of Mad King. I'm not saying she's completely mad, but she's got ruthlessness for sure. Well, she has to be ruthless. And what does she care you... more about, love for John or the throne? I think well, it's the throne. I'm willing to, yeah. Willing, I mean, so you think there is definitely love lost I don't there. think this is a love story. I don't think mm-hmm. this show is a love story. Mm-hmm. We know the ending's supposed to be bittersweet. So do you think she's pregnant? I don't know anymore. I think all my <laughs> predictions are completely wrong. We don't even know if, uh, if Cersei is well, pregnant or not. Jamie says that it's true that she w- she is pregnant. Yeah, but Jamie hasn't pregnant. been there for months. Yeah, yeah, I mean, clearly we are way off when it comes to predictions. So I don't know why you guys are even listening to our podcast, but we appreciate <laughs> it for sure. So let me put you on the spot. Okay. How does this end with John and Danny? I mean, I don't think they're going to be all lovey-dovey anymore. Will he can't both, even look her in the eye. Will they both survive the Battle of Winterfell? I think they'll both survive the battle Winterfell, but I don't think, like I said in my prediction episode, that both of them will survive at the very end of the story. One of them will die. It's interesting because like when you brought up like, would Daenerys give up the throne? All of Daenerys' qualities that she's a good person, she has morals, say to me that she knows the truth, so she would do it. But also at the same time, John doesn't want to be king. Yeah. Well, that's what that's why she shouldn't have been defensive. She knows that John doesn't want a throne. So or... don't you think John should have said right off the bat, don't worry, Daenerys. I don't want to be king. You can continue your queen I didn't watch the, I didn't watch the episode twice, so I didn't see his reaction time. Also, <laughs> John's not the best with words. so. <laughs> well, he gave her the full scope, unlike Sam did. He told her they got married and she wasn't raped. I don't know. Like, in the end, and it was... A, a scene that I had to rewatch a couple of times. Um, when the horn goes off, instead of looking at John's face, I'll ask everybody to look at Daenerys' face because it doesn't. The level of, I guess, I don't want to say anger because she's strong, but it, angst, angst that she has, it actually softens because he turns around and then she looks at him and it feels like she's like, "I still love you." Like, what are we going to do? How are we going to process this information? So, like I said, I don't think the relationship is definitely going to continue in terms of butterflies and Cupid arrows, but I do think it's not going to end where 
Daenerys is completely disregarding him and says, no, the throne is mine. I think they're going to work together to figure this out. I think the one thing that's for sure is Jon will not push for the throne. Mm. I think if anybody pushes for the throne, it'll be people around him if they find out. Like Sam. Mm -hmm. Sansa. Yeah. So we'll see. That was the three biggest moments. Mm -hmm. Um, Really good episode. From here, let's go to the mailbag. Let's, Let's send a raven. Did you send the ravens? That was your job. Your only job. All right, first question. We got a a whole big bunch of them, so let's get through these. First off, Blake Friedman asks, Do you think the Night King is creating a diversion and is actually heading to King's Landing on a dragon? I've seen this theory kind of pop up. Today was the first day I heard about this plan. But I, I kind of dug into it a little bit. I, we heard two different sets of friends kind of talk about it, but it's also because the Night King's not there. Monte Moreno asked a similar question, and we'll lump it together. Where was the Night King if not at the front in the last scene? Her bet is that he went up to Cersei, and what he will discover is a new... Then he'll outnumber the North and then kill everyone. I think he's already outnumbered the North. Um, the issue that I have with this scenario is that I don't think they would show the Night King in the preview, first of all. Secondly, we know the Night King is not going to be in the front lines. I think they even kind of mentioned that in yeah, the Yeah, he knows they're plan, looking for him. Right, in the War Council. he They have to draw him out. And if Bran is so convinced that the Night King wants to destroy all Three-Eyed Ravens, I don't think he's going to fly to King's Landing and then come back and with an army. Thing, he right? already has a massive army that can destroy the North. And he has an ice dragon. So to me, I think this plan wouldn't be the smartest because at the end of the day, it's only one dragon with just him. Yeah. I don't know how he would somehow defeat Cersei. I don't know if the arrows would work on the ice dragon or whatnot. But he doesn't have an army to take to King's Landing in order to defeat Cersei. So to me, I just think that he is just in the sky somewhere waiting for a moment to pop up. And I think it's what Bran said. It's for him to kill Bran. And I think it was really interesting because we learned that, you know, in this episode that one of the Night King's mission is not to only kill all men, but to wipe out the memory of them. And the Three-Eyed Raven literally is the history of Westeros. So I thought that was very interesting. And I guess I forgot that he marked Bran. And so he knows where Bran is. I like how Bran didn't show anybody. He's like, oh, yeah, guys, this handprint's (laughs) on my arm. For me, there's two things here. I think the theory that it's a diversion, I don't think that's true. I personally, I'm not buying it. Secondly, I think Cersei could show up. I think something... You think Cersei's Gandalf? No. I think something might happen with Cersei in this episode because they didn't show her at all in this episode, right? She was barely in the first one. And she. we know she has an army. We know there's the Golden Compass Company, whatever. Company. I know. We know they're there. They established them early in the season. And then they went dark. The last time we saw that was something like Littlefinger with the the Knights of the Vale. And it's like, oh, maybe they're coming. I'm not saying that it's to save Winterfell. I don't know. I think there is a wild card at play. The interesting thing that I noticed was when they were showing the battle plans Mm -hmm. on that map, they were only guarding the north side of Winterfell. Nothing was being covered for the south side. Mm-hmm. something could well, come. Like, they're hoping that they don't get past the castle. Yeah, but what if Cersei comes to kill everybody? 
everyone all over the mm-hmm. field, dead people and White Walkers. Like it, it could happen. I, mm. she's doing it to kill the Night King and kill all one and done versus one and done. waiting Swoop for in. them to in, die. A in little the world bit. of Apex Legends, we call it we call it third partying. <laughs> the, the two parties are already fighting. You're in the last three squads, and then you come in and destroy. I think Cersei's plan, actually, now that I think about it, is a little, it's smart. <laughs> you know, the fact that she's not sending the army north and that she's waiting for John and Danny and their, her army to die. I mean, I guess Cersei would come because I honestly don't know how they're going to defeat yeah. this. It just win in this battle. For me, it just feels too quiet on the Cersei front. Too quiet. Basically, two almost two full episodes with not what a if peak. she doesn't come and then all of your favorite characters? Well, I die. mean, I'm not great at theorizing. Obviously, <laughs> my shit keeps going wrong. So let's let's just go to the next question. It's also kind of related. Tony Manorino asks: Is the Red Woman, like we kind of mentioned earlier, gonna show up during the battle and save the day, Gandalf style? Instead of a white light, it'll be a red light. She'll like <laughs> cast fire in the sky, and like it'll all be like the priests in the red outfits, like coming down. They the don't mountain. even fight though. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm hoping that people who listen to our podcast have, know our Lord of the Rings references, but um, I just don't think that she's going to show up and actually save the day she might show up and raise a couple people from the dead but i don't think your army of red bitches are really going to do anything gandalf style where they're going to have swords and actually beat these people to be quite honest when i saw the ending of the last episode and you see all of those white walkers and then you kind of realize all of the zombies are behind them or technically whites behind them i really just don't understand how they're going to beat these people because it's not like orcs where you kill them and they're just dead. They kill you and then he adds thousands of people to his army. Like if he kills almost everybody in Winterfell, how much will he add? Like an extra 50,000 to 75,000 people? I think that... It's just, it's absolutely ridiculous that they kind of have an ounce of hope that they're going to maybe win. And that's why when John says we have to draw the Night King out and we have to kill him, I don't think the Night King will end in the third episode of the season. I think he's going to go all the way to the end. But I just don't see how they're going to win this. For me, I, think I mean, they got dragons. Lose. They got two dragons. But, but they for- have that ice magical dragon who yeah. I feel like is a lot more powerful. So we have to see what that's like because so, we don't know which dragon's powerful, right? Yeah. For me overall, it shows that for once in our life, in pop culture, we're getting a moment that is almost completely unpredictable. Yeah, because we kind of knew the Battle of the Bastard, yeah. the veil was going to show up. We know I mean, they're not going to die, right? And that Red part. Wedding wasn't... I didn't read the book, so it wasn't... But but Red Wedding wasn't something that was built up that we knew it was coming. That was mm-hmm. a complete surprise. Whereas this is a fight that we know is coming. They set it up. And we just don't know how it's going to end. We literally don't know how it's going to end. Mm-hmm. I think in all of pop culture, most of the movies we watch, most of the, like superhero shit, most of everything More like that, rings. it's predictable. You know mm-hmm. the good guys are going to win at the end. But Game of Thrones is one of the biggest pop culture things that tries to subvert expectations so we just don't know well and i also think it's because it's also the third episode so we know the story's not over but then there it's culminating into this huge battle that you would think would be at the end but you also know that the night king has been built up for eight seasons and you know that it would be really weird if he just dies in the yeah. third episode after all of that built up i don't know so i think 
there's some sort of, and I do agree with you, there's got to be some sort of clever plan yeah. that we're just not There's some kind of enough. twist happening in this battle. Or he literally kills everybody and some of the important people fly away on a dragon. See, you that could, could be it. Yeah, you could tell me that John dies this episode and I would believe it. You could tell me that they beat the Night King and I would believe it because there's still another battle. You could tell me Cersei comes, kills like the Night King or mm-hmm. kills some other people and I would believe it. That's how unpredictable it mm-hmm. is and that's why I'm actually really into it. And I'm I'm really excited. For I'm going to be very tense next week. I yeah. think we were a little spoiled uh, the last two episodes because I think it was a little bit more relaxed. We knew that nothing major was yeah. going to happen in terms of anyone dying. So it's going to be a very tense episode. Next question from Nidhi Singh. Does John care about life again now that he knows he isn't a nobody bastard? Does he want to rule? I personally think he still doesn't care. I think maybe he had a glimmer of hope of caring about life because of Danny, but now that this is all crazy and fucked up again, um, he's he's cool with dying. He's going to go out to battle and be his old self, be out there trying to do whatever it takes to win. I think for me, I mean, his main focus is still to defeat the Night King, but I feel like he's does care in the sense that he knows what his duty is, even though he might not want to be king. I still think he feels like maybe he should because it's he is the rightful heir and he would do it out of duty. He still has that Ned Stark aura with him that you need to do the right thing and him becoming king is the right thing. So let's get to the next question. Kelsey Gamblin asks, does Sansa want to get with Theon? Why do they have such weird vibes? Personally, I, it was kind of just that one moment where, the, where Podrick's singing the song and you see them two look at each mm-hmm. other. For me... Personally, it's just because Theon is the only man she actually trusts wholeheartedly. More than John? I, I, I think so. She knows John is stupid, so she can't trust him. Um, Theon has been with her from the worst parts, but also rescued her, right? Mm-hmm. She knows he's 100% there to serve, right? Yeah, I think I, I didn't get weird um, like sexual tension between them at all because... I got it, affection. They, Right, and I got genuine love. Like, when yeah. she sees him the first time, that actually was one of my favorite moments in the episode. Yes, it wasn't full of conversation and analysis that we needed to do, but the looks that they gave each other, it just shows that the both of them, they went through so much with Ramsey Bolton, and they have that experience and that connection, and the fact that they chose to spend maybe their last few moments together, their final hours just shows that she truly loves him like that's her real brother and so i hope that theon doesn't die but he's definitely primed for some death redemption when it comes to defending bran um but i like what you said early on um when this before the show premiered that maybe theon surprisingly won't die and becomes and a protector exactly because as we all know if brienne dies sansa doesn't really have a guard or a protector anymore so what if theon becomes kind of takes over that role and i think that would be a beautiful ending to kind of how theon's character plays out or you know what he can just die yeah. defending Bran. that would also be a beautiful ending um i just i love sansa and theon's relationship i think it's one of the best other than jamie and brianne's relationship that has developed into something that's special yeah. between them two i i teared up during their their scene mm-hmm. uh where they were hugging each other 
for me, this is really sad, but I entered a Game of Thrones death pool, mm-hmm. and you have to rank 1 through 25. 25, you, give, you get points if they survive. Number one, most likely to die. Um, Theon's pretty low on my list. I think he's... he's of surviving. Of surviving. I think he's... Grey Worm was the most likely to die for me. <laughs> Theon's definitely there. Whenever somebody talks about Sandy Beaches and retiring, you know that person's going to die. Maybe Daenerys so. should bring that to Sansa. Say, hey, why don't your people become a little bit less racist? And I'll talk about <laughs> That's true. Belekoshing the North to you. Anyways. Next question from Monte Moreno. Where's the dead dragon? And can the Night King ride him if he's not a Targaryen? And if he is riding him, does it confirm that he's secretly the Mad King? What is up with all these crazy theories? Wow, I didn't hear that one before. I don't think it's established anywhere in the show that only Targaryens can ride the dragons. Yes, it might be in the book, but it's not in the show. I mean, I guess I didn't really think about that. I just assumed that Targaryens are the only ones that have connection with the dragon. But you have to think that the Night King, and I said this in a couple episodes before, he's just magic. So he has a magic spear and he has magic abilities obviously to control the undead it doesn't matter that he's not a targaryen viserion is dead so magic it's magic and he controls him that is his power and it he doesn't have to be a targaryen to ride a dead dragon because honestly if that dragon went up to john or danny I don't think he would say, oh, you know, hey, Targaryen again. (laughs) Like, never mind. I'm not going to kill you. I I even asked you yesterday, is Viserion so far gone that he won't be able to recognize Daenerys? He's dead, right? Yeah, he's a zombie. He's completely dead. So it doesn't matter. Gus Moreno asks, since we see the spiral of body parts in House Umber, and as this has been a symbol of the Night King's since the beginning of the show, why are people shitting their britches over a, fem- over a female character exercising her sexual agency? <laughs> Basically, Gus is saying that there's all this crazy-ass shit in the show. Why are people like going crazy about Arya wanting to have sex for once? I don't know why people are going crazy. I thought it was completely fine. Yeah, it's kind of like you know when you watch Harry Potter and Hermione has sex and you're kind of weird out. You don't. Hermione see- didn't have sex. No, in no, Harry no. Potter. I'm I'm trying to compare. What Harry Potter movie did you see? <laughs> No, no, I'm trying to compare. If that were the case, I see why people are a little uncomfortable. I personally was fine with it. I mean, I think Arya at this point, you can assume she's in her 20s. The actress is 22. So I don't know why people were freaking out. And I don't think the sex between Gendry and Arya was out of the blue. It was earned. I always felt, even in the beginning, that when they first meet each other, that she kind of has a crush on him. You know, has a little girl. She was like 13, 14. And so the fact that now she's a grown woman and she's obviously a different person. And he's super dreamy now. And super muscular and <laughs> super sweaty. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, of course I see that. And I don't think it was anything that people should go crazy over. I, I thought it was a fine scene. I mean, was it my favorite scene? No. Are we like Hopefully obsessed it over it? <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, I, I thought it was fine. And it was just like something to add and to the show right before everyone dies. And that's kind of what yeah, the showrunner said. Yeah, a human said. moment. Yeah, that's what the showrunner says. Some people chose to spend their final hours very differently. And obviously, one of those people were to lose her virginity. And so I think it was completely in character for Arya to do that. And the way her. she did it, it wasn't even like, oh, hey, yeah. like I kind of want to have sex with her. So I was like, you're going to do this. But first of all, how many people did you sleep with? <laughs> 
It was great. I was like, go girl. <laughs> that, was, that was really fun. Lay it all out She wants there. to be educated. Yes. <laughs> Before she, you know. Kelsey Gamblin asks, does Sir Brienne really want Jamie on her squad? I mean, she kind of has to after the knighting and everything, right? We saw in the post-credits kind of interviews that Brienne doesn't really know how to react. She's so used to Jamie bullying her and kind of being negative towards her she doesn't know how to react to a jamie who's positive nice and wants to be at least close to her and Mm -hmm. respects her so i think that's just the confusion she's feeling i think obviously ultimately she will want jamie up by her side as a soldier Mm -hmm. and we'll see what happens i I do think that they're going to be next to each other on the battlefield do you think they have romantic feelings for each other i think they do but i don't think anything will think anything will come of it because to Brienne it was never really an option for her I think the showrunners discussed that as well and it'll be some kind of it's a mutual love but I don't think anything will come of it unless they both survive but I, I mean that, I that's think, not gonna happen yeah I think Jamie truly does love her do I think it's romantic I don't know how to define what Jamie yeah. thinks of romance just because he's been so fucked up by having I mean, sex even with Tyrion his sister. says it, right? Right. So I think he himself doesn't know what his feelings are for Brienne truly means. But I think for me, like, she does want, I agree with you, she does want him by his side. Um, and I think she's just trying to process her feelings. But at the same time, she knows this battle is coming, so she doesn't really have time for it. So. Yeah, I mean, I truly think that she wants Jamie by her side. I mean, clearly she vouched for him in front of everyone, so she will fight for him like she told Sansa. Yep. Uh, Goot asks, do you think the gods are just an interpretation of the same overall magic we're seeing? Like, is the Lord of Light real, or is it just magic? I'd say probably the Lord of the Light is most likely to be real, but I don't think gods will ever show up in the show. I think, yeah, maybe they influence things here and there, but there will they've already kind of talked about how there's not really an afterlife because John died right. and he saw nothing, he felt nothing. So with that said, I think they do exist. I think we've seen the Lord of the Light come, bring people back to life. Um, but I don't think they're going to show up. Yeah, I think the only god that kind of has some skin in the game is the Lord of Light. I mean, we obviously know he's real because he brought John back from the dead and they've been talking about his entire mission of defeating the, the Night King. So I think he truly is the most important god. Now, do I think he's something to focus on? Probably not at this point. It's Agreed. just kind of a backdrop for me. Yeah, I think it adds to the mysticism of the mm-hmm. show and the unanswered questions. And I think it's something that will never be truly addressed. Yep. Joe McNeely asks, what was your favorite one-liner of the episode? He actually wants a top five ranking, but I don't think we got that. (laughs) I mean, I think there were a lot of great lines in the episode. I mean, I mean, Tormund's entire story, I think that was all great one-liners. But my favorite one's a pretty simple one. I like how Daenerys said when she was talking to Sansa and she was talking about he's a second man I've trusted and loved and all of that. And she asks who was the first. And Daenerys just simply remarks, someone taller. And it's funny because I feel like they make fun of Kit Harrington's height in almost all of the past episodes. Even in season seven, she calls him little. It and definitely then became Arya, a thing. Right. Seven and Arya says, eight. you used to be taller. And now she said someone taller. So I thought that was just funny. And yeah. I liked that. Yeah, my, there were, like you said, there were a lot of different one-liners. I really liked 
Tormund's delivery of fuck tradition. <laughs> just, I love Tormund. I think he's one of the best side characters. He's a great actor in his kind of comedic way. Mm-hmm. And his delivery of that line was just awesome for the moment. And one of my other favorite lines, I'm not going to directly quote it, but something that was, I think, a great delivery is when Tyrion told Jamie about Cersei. And Jamie was like, I guess I was... I didn't realize who Cersei was. And then Tyrion says something to the effect of, you always knew, but you loved her anyways. I thought that, that landed very heavily because you kind of see Jamie's face realize that too. Goot asks, how much did you swoon when you saw Podrick sing? Think about this thing. Podrick is arguably one of the most eligible bachelors in all the Game of <laughs> I Thrones. I mean, apparently he's he has, great at sex. He's great at sex. He has luxurious hair now. He mm-hmm. has the voice of an angel, and he's a badass fighter now. Like, <laughs> what's not to like about it? Do you him? think Arya should have knocked on Pod's door versus... Mm, she wouldn't have <laughs> gone wrong there. I mean, I think it that song was beautiful, and it kind of gave me Christmas vibes, oddly enough. I don't know why. But, um, yeah, I mean, he definitely has all of the chops. He's got so. all the, the tools in the shed. I don't know if that's the thing. I still, though, feel like Theon hair is a lot more soon worthy than pod's hair <laughs> i don't know I his can't hair get was over a little toned hair. down this episode though he put up some grease into it <laughs> some coconut oil joe mcneely asks if you lived in the seven kingdoms it's another pod question if you lived in the seven qu- kingdoms would you rather marry pod a knight without a castle or Bronn, and he has a castle and land i don't know why this is even a is this even a, a debate? I mean, do you want to answer that question? If you were to marry Pod or uh, Bronn? <laughs> Bronn's got the money, right? He's a terrible person, but in the world of... I mean, he might have, he might have, small, he might have smallpox at this point. Oh, um, that's true. I You'd would, get STDs. From a woman's perspective, I would marry Pod yeah. because one, like you just list all of his qualities. Great at sex, great hair, good fighter, can sing, so... I think we have an answer. Yeah, I'll take pod two. All right. All right. The final question from Scott Roberts is a pop culture crossover, and it's perfect timing as Avengers Endgame comes out on Thursday. What are you more excited about, the episode three of Game of Thrones or Avengers Endgame? It's really close, but it's still Avengers for me. Of course it is. Of course. How many Avengers do you think it would take to wipe out the Night King's army? So let me preface it. Um, The non-human Avengers. Because, you know, like... Captain America and like <laughs> Black Widow and Hawkeye alone, they were, they're not going to really be able to do anything. And yet so somehow let's, they survived let's, those let's vicious go with, animals. Let's go to with them. like godly Avengers, like Thor, Captain Marvel, people who actually have superpowers. Even Iron Man can be thrown in there, um, not just like the enhanced human ones. Okay. So how many the Avengers? Hulk as well. Yeah, Hulk. How many Avengers? I mean, God, how many? People are in the Night King's army at this point. 500,000? 500,000, 200,000, something like that. I say 150. All right. With just Captain Marvel, Thor, the Hulk, and uh, who was the last person you said? Doctor Strange? Iron Man. Doctor Strange. I mean, does that Night King have a dragon? Yeah, he's got everything he has right now. I think it's honestly pretty easy. I think you th- think the four or five of them could beat one hundred fifty thousand dead like zombies plus the dragon. Well, if Thor aims for the head this time, all he has to go, <laughs> all he has to do is go at the Night King, mm-hmm. throw his axe. I think it would definitely take a duplication of them. Thor I don't can... think it would just be. It would need to be 
It would definitely need to be them, but maybe two of them. I mean, Thor can fly. He's already fought a dragon in one of those movies. I think in Thor Ragnarok, he fought a movie. But a we dragon. don't know if lightning would kill the zombies. So many questions yeah, but that we don't the, know. But the zombies don't fly. And a lot of these Avengers do fly. Right? True. So the, the zombies. But then how would they kill the ice dragon? They could just use their weapons. It's easy. All right. The Avengers have faced much harder than an, an, an undead dragon and fire. So you think they could beat? I think Thor alone could do it. Thor alone, Thor alone could, could do, do it. it. Yeah. Come on, the Night King's not. He's he's super strong, but against these like peasant ass like soldiers who have only swords and shit. Thor has lightning powers. He can fly. He has this crazy axe. I guess we don't need the Lord of Light. We need the God of Lightning. And we'll never find out, yeah. ever. It's kind of one of those fun games that me and Joe play. Like, who's going to be who? Do you think Darth Vader will beat Sauron? So let's do that. <laughs> Could Darth Vader <laughs> defeat no, the Night Darth King No, Darth Vader would armor? die. And the Night King would definitely so, chew him up and spit him out. So how many Jedi would it take to kill the Night King's army? I mean, they have the, force. the Jedi would just die. Well, from my point of view, the Jedi are... <laughs> all right whatever we're crossing over too much all right well so let's let's call that segment there and let's move on to the final one mvp of the episode who you got i got Tormund. the king in the north Ooh. i think i said like it three times in this podcast already like that story really put me over the edge and i loved it i loved it i thought it was hilarious and he really provided that comic relief i feel like we needed in this episode i'm gonna take brienne the king in the north Brienne's Fair. knighthood was like the emotional anchor for the episode we got to see her character seemingly get some closure mm-hmm. in for everything that she's ever wanted being a knight um, closure with J- with Jamie closure with a purpose in life mm-hmm. she might die but she was she was the real heart of the episode for me I think like that whole scene will make her death even more painful i hope we're just wrong i hope we're wrong (laughs) we'll see we'll see anyways thanks everybody for listening hope you like this punchier episode and we'll talk to you later bye